0: Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. going to go ahead and get into the message this morning. And if you're wondering why the room is a little bit lopsided, earlier on I had everybody move to this side of the room because we wanted everybody to be together. You guys are feel feel free to stick where you're at. If you want to come over here, you're welcome to. But we just wanted to create uh, just a little bit more of an intimate environment. So That's why it feels that way. Well, today we are going to be continuing our message series called Essentials, which is a series where we're asking the question, what are the essential building blocks of a relationship with God? Or what's the blueprint of a life of faith? And why does it matter? Because here's why. is that we have Christianity in our country or around the world. If you were to ask somebody, what is the hallmark of Christianity? Or what really matters in my faith? You would get a million different answers. But that's not necessarily what the Bible says, right? We want to know what are the most important things? What matters the most when it comes to living a life of faith? What are those essential building blocks to make sure that we're living a healthy lifestyle and living the best life that God has called us to live? How many of you guys hear that phrase all the time, living his best life? It's everywhere, right? Well. I just want you to know that that's really, truly available to us, not in the cliched sense, but God has a plan for us in our lives. And in order for us to be able to get the most out of the life that God has called us to, to be the people that he's created us to be, we need to know what those essential pieces are so that we can experience that in our lives. So last week, we began the series... Talking about the first essential building block, and that was new identity. This idea that when we come to Jesus, when we say yes to Christ and begin a relationship with God, that it, the Bible says that we're actually given a new creation and given a new identity. It's like taking off old, ratty, ragged, stained clothes. Right? That was the illustration we used. And that God says, "Hey, no, here, let me give you new clothes—clean, warm, crisp clothes to put on. It's like a new wardrobe. That's the mentality. And when we come to Christ, we're given a new identity. We're Fresh and we're new, and the big idea of last week's message was that your identity is defined by God's decree, not by humanity's opinion. And this is the hardest thing I think for us to to live into or to step into, right? This idea. That God says we're something, and whatever he says we are is what we truly are, not what our friends think, not what our social media account says, not what our bank account says, not what our past failures say about us. We are who God says we are, and when we live out of that, we begin to experience his best in our lives. So that's what new identity means. And I'm telling you, if you didn't hear last week's message, if you weren't here for it, didn't have a chance, make sure that you go to our website, Uh, EncounterPGH.com, go to the watch and listen page, and you can listen to it there. Or if you have Apple Podcasts, I encourage you to subscribe to our podcast and listen to it, because it was a powerful message, and maybe one of your friends needs it. I encourage you to share it with them. Let them know that there are messages out there, encouraging messages that could change their life. I encourage you to do that. So that was last week. Well, this week we're going to continue with the second essential building block of uh, a a relationship with God, and that's something I'm calling 360-degree discipleship. 360 degree discipleship. Now, what? here's the question I would have for you. What is discipleship? What is it? Because this is like, kind of like a church word, or it's like a, a leadership word, or a Christian word. But discipleship is something we hear a lot in church, but I don't know that everybody always knows what it means. Well, here's what it is, and why it's important. Discipleship is what takes place after we say yes to Jesus, so the moment we talked about last week of saying, "I believe that you are who you say you are." I believe that you, that Jesus died on the cross; He covered our sin, provides forgiveness and grace. That's the crux of the gospel, right? That's the moment of salvation. That's a beautiful moment where we are given that new creation and that new identity. But discipleship is what happens after that, and here's why that matters: because God says that we're a new creation the moment we begin a relationship with Him. But the reality is, is that we still have a lot of work to do inside of us, right? Just because I say yes to Jesus doesn't mean that my life is fixed. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything is going well for me. It doesn't mean that I'm still not a jerk at times. It doesn't mean that sometimes, you know, my life is not the way it should be or I still have bad habits or I struggle with guilt and and frustration and shame and fear and all of these things, right? And so what discipleship is, is this journey, this process of being a disciple of Jesus. So discipleship is the process of being a disciple of Jesus and learning to follow in his footsteps. Here's an illustration that might help visualize what we're talking about. Does anybody in here like classic cars? Anybody in here like classic cars? They're really sweet cars, gorgeous looking cars, right? Well, uh, I know people who will buy old, beat up, Classic cars, right? They'll go out to auctions, or they'll they'll you know go on the the internet, and or they'll they'll in a network of people, they will purchase old Mustangs, or or even older ones. Sometimes I see these old Ford trucks, you know, that people are purchasing. They'll buy them. They spend a lot of money on them, but they are messed up. They are beaten up. And just because they purchased it, doesn't mean that they still have that it's in the right condition, right? The idea of, of that. Well, here's what I'm, where I'm getting at. The moment of salvation, the moment we say yes to Jesus, we say, I, I want to be set free. I receive your grace in my life, your forgiveness in my life. That's like the moment of Jesus paying for an old classic car, right? That's what's happening is the deed has been transferred in that moment. Jesus purchased us on the cross. He paid for our sin, and he bought us back, from the owner of this world, the figurative owner of this world. The Bible talks about that Satan is the the ruler of this world. So what happened was on the cross, Jesus paid for our sin and said, I'm buying him back, just like a classic car. Anybody who likes those things, they put it in their garage, they've got it. But that's not where the process stops. But now the owner is this lovely owner of a beat-up 69 Mustang, And he's not going to want to drive around. He's not going to show. It still needs work. And so what does he do? He spends time, years even, money, effort, into fixing up this vehicle, right? He starts putting new doors on it. He puts maybe a new engine in it, right? He's got to fix it up. He paints it, buffs it out so that it looks right. He puts a wax coating on it, puts new tires on it, right? And then eventually doing what? Restoring it to its original design, right? This is the process of discipleship. That's the process of discipleship. We have a new owner, a new identity in Christ, and the rest of our lives is the process of him working on us restoring us and making us like Jesus, who is the prototype of perfection. That's what the Bible says, that Jesus is the design. He is the one that everything should be looking like in the way he lives, the way he acts, the way that he treats people, in the the design of how a human being is, is meant to be. So the process of discipleship is a lot like restoring a classic car. It's purchasing and then brought in and spending time revealing it back to, restoring it back to its original intent. And so for us, the moment of saying yes to Jesus is just the beginning. It's really a rescue moment for us. A rescue moment, and now we have the opportunity for a new life. And this new life begins with an invitation from Jesus. An invitation. If you have your Bibles, pull out Matthew chapter 11. Open your Bibles up. If you have a, a smartphone or a tablet, I encourage you to get the Bible app, the Uversion Bible app. You go to the app store. By the way, I'm not, this is not a paid sponsorship. I'm always talking about this it. because this particular app is the one. You type in the word Bible in the App Store, whether it's the Google Store or the App Store from Apple or whatever, it's the first one that comes up, and millions of people use it. And the reason I talk about it is because it's the best one out there, and it literally allows you to take the Word of God with you everywhere you go. You can read it anywhere. There's Bible plans, all sorts of things. So open your Bibles up, whether you have a, an analog one or a digital one. And if you don't have a Bible, please don't leave today without a Bible. We have them free for you at the Connection Center. Matthew 11, verses 28 and 30, Jesus begins this concept of discipleship with an invitation to us. He says this, come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Anybody in the room weary and burdened? You don't have to lift your hand up. And I will give you rest. you hear his invitation? Come to me. And I will give you rest. And then another invitation, take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly. I'm humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is Jesus' invitation? He says, come to me. Learn from me. Now this word yoke is something that, that, uh, that is, needs unpacked a little bit because we know of an oxen yoke. Right, The idea of putting it on its neck and two oxen walk step and step, and that's the, that's the first level. So Jesus is saying, come walk with me, put your yoke around my neck, and now we're going to walk side by side. So as I step, you're going to step. That's, that's one illustration, example that's true. But a deeper understanding of the word yoke is a rabbi has a yoke. Every rabbi has a yoke. And what that is, is it's a teaching, a set of teachings. You would know one rabbi from another based on their yoke okay? It's their, 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 their specific interpretation or understanding of Scripture. So Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. Live the way that I live. Understand the way that I teach, the way that I'm telling you who God is and what the kingdom of God is about. So he's saying, take it on. But it's, see, here's the thing is that it's not just a teaching. It's also a lifestyle. So when Jesus is saying in this verse, inviting us to follow him, He's saying literally leave behind and now do what I do. That's what he is essentially saying. That's the invitation of discipleship. Come to me, listen to me, learn from me, do what I do, and you will find rest for your souls. Now That's an invitation, but it's also an instruction. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. This is an instruction. It says, This is, is how we know that we know him. Him is Jesus. It says, if we keep his commands. The one who says that I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar. That's pretty hard. And the one and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. So this is how we know that we are in him. This is it. Bottom line. How do we know that we're followers of Jesus? It says, the one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. So what we're seeing is an invitation to Jesus is come to me and I will give you the rest that you're looking for. I'll give you the meaning that you're looking for. I will give you the, the purpose, your desire in life. I will show you. I will teach you. Learn from me. That's the invitation. But there comes an expectation to where the concept of discipleship should be a consistent and intentional instruction. It is an expectation from God that we are to walk step by step with him, to learn from him, and to walk with him. Now here's the, here's the problem, the elephant in the room, is obviously there is a huge gap between the new creation, the new identity, a huge gap between what God says that we are, right, and how I live my life. There is a huge gap between the invitation of Jesus to come into a, a healthy life and, 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 and the goodness and the creation of that and the, the rest, right? There's a huge gap between that and the fully living out of that instruction. And so here's what I would say. The gap between what we are now and what God sees in us is the process of discipleship. The gap between who we are right now and what God says about us in its fullness is the process of discipleship. Discipleship is the steps to becoming who God created us to be. It's an intentional effort to become like Jesus. It's learning to follow in Jesus' footsteps, and it involves every area of our life. And that's why I'm calling it a 360 degree discipleship. So what does 360 degree discipleship look like? Well, the first one is this. It's this concept of up and down, up and down discipleship. It's learning from God. It's learning to listen to Him and speaking to Him. It's this concept of up and down. It's allowing Him to speak down to me, and it's allowing us to speak up to Him. It's this concept of receiving guidance and direction. It's an up and down relationship. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is the very first psalm. If you're not familiar with what psalms are, they're poems or like songs. that are written by David and a couple other guys who basically just poured out their heart about who God was. And they're kind of like a journal entry, like writing it. This is the very first one. And check this out. The very first verse of the psalm. This is what it says about discipleship. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. What happens to him? He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruits in the season and whose leaves do not Wither. Whatever he does prospers. Right away in Psalms, the very first Psalm, we see the concept of this up and down concept of the 360 degree discipleship taking place. It's up and down. It's receiving guidance and wisdom and instruction from God. It's then writing it back and saying, but I don't understand that, God. It's hard for me to apply this in my life where I'm afraid, I'm frustrated. And then God speaks back to us. And we begin to change what we, do, what we think and what we say and what we do based off of his feedback. The problem is is that oftentimes most of us bounce outward towards everything. We want feedback off of our friends or off of the news or off of social media. And there's not something wrong with it. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But our direct source of how we understand how we should be living should come from an up and down relationship. The 360 degree discipleship process begins with an upload and download stream. That's the concept. We all understand what uploading is and downloading because we live in an Internet age. So think of discipleship beginning from that space, this concept of I'm uploading what's going on in my life, what I think about situations, and then pausing and saying, God, what do you think about that? What do you have to say about that? How does your word reflect on that? I want you to be the one who gives me the decisions in my life, the authority. It's listening and learning from the source of all things. If we want to know what God thinks about us, if we want to know what we should do in our situations, we should probably seek out the one who created all things. It's responding, it's sharing, and it's processing that up-and-down concept. And here's the thing. My challenge to you in the discipleship relationship, particularly in the up-and-down, is we need to give God the authority to have the final authority and challenge our assumptions. This is the hardest part, I think, for us, is that we oftentimes come to church, or we read our Bibles, or we, you know, go to, to life groups and whatever it might be in a spiritual realm, and we We bring our own assumptions, we bring our own biases into our circumstances. And when we pray, when we ask God for things, we ask him for things based on what we want or what we think should happen. But oftentimes we are living with blind spots. And there are times where God wants to challenge our assumptions about people, about things, about our own lives. Perhaps the way that I see the world isn't the right way to see it. Perhaps I'm looking through uh, lenses of discrimination or prejudices that I don't even know about. And if I'm never asking God to search my heart for hidden sin, right, or for, for areas of my life that are, that, are, that are not measuring up, if all I do is surround myself with people who think like me, who believe what I believe, who, who see the things that I see, then I'm probably never going to be a different person. I'm probably never going to shift my priorities. God's probably never going to even have the chance because I'm not giving him one. But what we see in this passage of Scripture and what we see in in an up-and-down discipleship relationship is we have to give God the authority to challenge our assumptions. And we have to say that God knows best. So that means coming to him with questions. God, what do you think about this topic? You know, like, like when I heard Pastor Jared say this, or when I read the scriptures, it, it ruffles my feathers. Sometimes I, I'm not naive enough to think that that's not the case. That sometimes I say something on stage, and I'm doing my best to preach out of an interpretation that I understand is what I think is as is, is close to what it, with, what it means as possible. Sure, do I, do I mess up? Do I fail? Of course. But I'm doing my best there. And I'm sure that there are times when I'll say something, you're like, eh, I don't know what I think about that. right? And that's fine. But you don't then take that situation and go, well, I'm just going to ignore it. Like, what you need to do is go back to a place of prayer, doing study on God's word yourself. Begin to analyze that and ask the question, God, is that right That's hard for me to stomach. That's part of the reason why we created life groups, was for you to go to a place surrounded by other Christians where you can ask questions. Every Sunday, you hear a message like this, and then every life group week, whenever whenever you meet as a team, what's happening is you get into a group, and you're sitting down asking questions about that message. And you're saying, what do I think about that? You know, when Pastor Jared said this thing, Like My first reaction was frustration, or I was angry about it, or I don't understand it. And now you have a chance to share with people, and then you can talk to God. God, I don't know what I think about this. And God begins to speak to us, and he says, let me remind you of my passage. You go into God's Word, and you see what it says about that particular thing. And then here's the choice that we have to have. In that moment, we have to choose. If God's Word says something, I don't have the privilege of just ignoring it. I have to process it and find a way to integrate it into my life. That's what it means to give God authority, the final authority in our lives. Now, I recognize this is the process. And if there is something in your heart or something in your life or maybe even that you've heard all your life and now God is challenging you on it, I don't expect you, I don't think God expects you to be living out of that immediately, to like to act as though it never was a a struggle for you. There is the reality of if God is challenging something in my life, he's been doing it for me with anger for years. I struggle with my temper I struggle with it, if I can just be honest with you. And there are times where, in my life, I used to be a lot worse. I would fly off the handle, and I would scream, and I would yell, and I would feel so guilty about it. And I'm getting better and better at it. It doesn't mean that God's word wasn't true, and I couldn't just ignore it. But it wasn't like, all of a sudden, God said, Jared, you're an angry person. I want to release you from the poof, it's done. That's not how it works. But I had to give God authority in my life to teach me, to remind me in those spaces. When I feel myself getting frustrated or angry, God begins to remind me of his word or scriptures about it or the moments in prayer or in worship where he's reminded me, Jared, that's not what I have for you. That's not healthy. You see what I'm saying? That's the process. God, I hate that I'm angry. I hate that I do this over and over again and I fail and I mess up. I'm sorry. And then God speaks downward to me and he says, it's okay, son. I love you. I want more for you. I don't want that to happen any longer. Okay, I'll try better. Do you see how this works? that process. And over the concept of of weeks and months and years, you look back and you see, oh man, I'm so different than I used to be. That is the discipleship process at work. The up and down, the little restoring on the classic car that God is beginning to do. It's not all in one day. It's a mirror here. It's a paint job there. It's a wax there. It's a hubcap there. You see what I'm saying? That's the concept of discipleship. And we have to begin from a place of biblical authority. And I'm going to step on some people's toes here today because I don't know where everybody thinks, but listen, the Bible is the beginning of it all. If you don't believe that the Bible is God's word, there's really not a lot that you're going to be able to do in your faith. You're constantly going to feel like you're learning something new and you don't know what's true and what's not. I'm not talking about literally, like the literal uh, uh, execution of the word being literal or not. What I'm talking about is the Bible the authority in my life. Does what is written in that book, does it contain the essence of what God wants us to know about who he is? And we have to live our lives from a place of when I read it, it's either true or it's not. That's, that's what we have to do. We have to give the Bible, and, and by extension, God's Word speaking to our lives through His Spirit as well as through the, through the Bible, we have to give it authority in our life. If we don't, then we're just playing games. We're just adding God to a list of other opinion sources like CNN and Facebook. And that's not what the Bible says. That's not what God is, has created His Word to be. Now, I recognize that it, it is rather challenging. Sometimes, like I said, the Bible, when I read it, passages sometimes are hard and they're difficult. But again, it's the process of becoming like Jesus and changing the way that we treat. And I will say this to you. Here's my, here's my litmus test. Is there anything in God's Word that instruction for us as Christians that would cause us to be a, a hateful person? Is there ever a moment where at the end, if I lived out what God's word teaches, will I be a terrible person? Would I be someone who, who creates division? Would I, is that the case? No, that's not the case. And I see people all the time arguing that, that, the, that the Bible is irrelevant or it's not true. But let me tell you this, is that if you live according to God's principles, you will always be a good person. So even if you follow the Bible at a minimum just out of being trying to be doing good things, the Bible is going to lead you in a direction of being healthy and whole. And I believe it's because that's how God created the world to be designed to be lived. So I'm going to go off my soapbox in that space. Biblical authority and habits. So that's the first space. The first step is up and down. 360-degree discipleship begins with this upload and download stream. But the second is this left and right. So you can see it's like an up and down, and it's also an inward and an outward. It's a left to right, side to side, front and back concept. This is fellowship. This is learning and growing together with others, practicing it outwardly. It's like, okay, I've heard what God said to me. He's speaking to me. It changes my heart. I begin to live that out. And then I come over here with my friends, and I say, This is what God's been teaching me lately. That's what we do at Life Group. We ask this question. What has God been speaking to your life? What he's been saying to you, right? And they begin to reflect that back. God's beginning to change something in my heart, and now I push it outward to other people, and I I begin to live it out, and that reflects backward. And I go, that didn't work very well. Let me try again. You see, up and down, inside and out. Up and down, inside and out. Proverbs chapter 27, verses 17 and 18, talks about this very concept. It says, iron sharpens iron. And one person sharpens another. Pause. That's the space that we usually stop at. Okay, this idea of iron sharpens iron. Imagine you've ever seen the guys kind of taking two uh, pieces of metal and sharpening it against each other. It creates an edge on both spaces. But then it says, whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. You put effort into something, you're going to get something out of it. Whoever looks after his master will be honored. The concept here is taking care of each other, living in relationship with other people. As I receive from God, I reflect that outwardly. It affects those people. It reflects back to me. I take it. I process it. I tell God about it. God gives me a direction and guidance, and I take it back out. That's the process of 360-degree discipleship, learning every day, growing every day, asking God, what can I do? What should I do? Having him speak to us into our circumstances. The 360-discipleship process continues by connecting and growing with other Christians. And it's a lot like a computer network. These are analogies that are just pop up into my head. It's like a computer network, devices, right? Working together and sharing information. It's your house, you have this. You've got a Wi-Fi network, and you've got an iPhone, you have a tablet, you've got a laptop, you've got an Apple TV, you've got a Roku. You've got all of these different things, right? All of those pieces of information are working together, bouncing information back and forth. If you've got that ecosystem, like anybody in, in here like have an Apple ecosystem, how you can access, you know, like on your iPhone, you can look at what's going on on your iPad. And on your iPad, you can actually watch the things that are on your Apple TV, and if you could do the same thing on your laptop, your Apple laptop, or the same thing in Android, all those things. This is the concept we're talking about. The concept of discipleship is is there is a hub, and then as we live our life in relationship to other people, we get resources from each other. We share with each other. We encourage each other. We learn from each other. We were never meant to live in a relationship, in a faith, by ourselves. And the fact that we are here this morning shows that there is a value of that, Part of the value of a Sunday morning is seeing that we are together in this. But that's why we talk about life groups so much. Because the rest of the week is really hard, right? I go through my day and I'm busy and I'm tired and I'm frustrated, I gotta pay my bills, maybe I'm fighting with my wife, maybe my kids aren't doing well in school, right? Maybe my job is is about to, to be downsized, maybe I'm gonna get fired, maybe I'm not doing good in school and my grades are poor. Whatever it might be, it's hard. And so God says, I brought you people to live life with. And we sit down in a room together in houses across our city each week in our life groups. And we sit down and we eat food together and we break bread together and we share in life together. And we talk about what's going on. And sometimes, for some people who's new and they're like, I'm not really even a Christian or I don't really know much about faith. But there is something about just saying, this is what goes on in my life and it sucks right now. It's hard. And then you've got somebody who says, you know what, it's okay. Like, thanks for bringing that. Thanks for sharing that. And there's just something that comes out of that. But not just, not just sharing it, but also knowing that there are people who love you, people who care about you, people who will encourage you, people who are going to be in the rest of the week texting you, hey, how's it going? How work today? That's the power of relationships and the beauty of, of the family of God working together. It's all about relationships. It's about about life groups. It's about serving together. It's about taking what God is saying. He says, I love you, but I also love your neighbor. So I want you, Jared, to get to know your neighbor so that they can get to know me. You understand? The concept of discipleship is not just so I can become better. It's so that I can become who God's created me to be. But it's that so that our neighbors and our coworkers, the people who are far from God, the people who are living in complete darkness, those who are searching around, grasping for hope, how can they know? Discipleship is just as much about my life being changed as it is talking to other people and bringing them an opportunity. Up and down and then in and out. So back to this invitation from Jesus. We're going to finish with this. Jesus says, come to me. He says, learn from me. Live like me. But what does it all lead to? What is the concept of discipleship, of taking steps every day. What is that like? Remember that restored classic car? It's beautiful, right? When it's done, the car is gorgeous. Everyone takes pictures of it. They share it on Facebook. It's restored. It's functioning now. It's not just pretty, but it actually works. It's like a piece of art. Well, it's the same thing that happens to each of us. Let's Look at what Ephesians chapter 2 says, and we're going to close with this. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It says, and you... He's talking about us. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. Think of that car, that beat up car. According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But... But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in the trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now here's the, the kind of linchpin of this whole passage: "For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not for yourselves. It is God's gift. The guy who buys the car and fixes it up is what happens at the end is the whole point. He says, "Not from work so that no one can boast, for we are His workmanship." Another passage of scripture, another translation says his masterpiece. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. It's like taking that classic car and say, look at this gorgeous thing. And then he invites his neighbors and says, hey, come on the ride. Come into this. I want to drive you around the city in this new souped up car with the nitro engine. I want you to check this out. He didn't just fix it up so it could stay in his garage. It's beautiful in its own right. And he takes pictures and he shows his family and his friends. He says, look what I made. It's his masterpiece. Look at this gorgeous Mustang. Like, that's the idea. But the concept of this passage is saying he didn't just fix it up so that it could look pretty. He fixed it up so it would be functional so that people could ride in it and that they would see, oh, this is what a car is supposed to be like. This is what a vehicle is supposed to feel like when I'm in it. This is what a beautiful piece of art is. And that's what God says about each one of us. The concept of discipleship is not just hard work. It's not just knowing the rules that God has said for us to live today. It's the end result that we will be made masterpieces, that he's going to look at us and says, look what I made. Look at the life that I restored. Look at that beat-up car, that life that was full of, of drugs and addiction or, or was full of just, you know, abuse and, and, and greed and, 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 and selfishness or whatever our lives used to look like. And then he begins restoring it, and people go, wow, I used to know Jared. I used to know Aaron. I used to know, and he was a totally different person. And then when that car, when that life says, you know, kind of just reflects, oh, that's the workmanship of God. That's the only explanation for that is look what God did day in and day out, right? If you go to that garage every day, it's not going to look too different every day. But if you come back every couple months or every couple of years, you're going to start to see big changes. And that's what discipleship is like for us. The concept of listening in the direction from God and talking to him and telling him how we feel and listening back and giving him the authority in our lives and then reflecting that back out to other people and learning from each other and sharing and lifting each other up, over time will begin to change our lives. But we have to be willing. The concept of discipleship is this. The big idea, if you're taking notes, write this down. The invitation of discipleship is to become a masterpiece. In God's hands. That's what is at stake here. That's what God is asking for us. The essential building block of 360 degree discipleship, the purpose of it is because God wants to make each one of us a masterpiece in his hands. But what piece of art tells the artist no, right? What person looks at their life and says, no, I don't want to be painted blue. Like if in that analogy, right? No, we have to trust that the master artist knows what's best for our lives. We have to listen to him and allow him to shape us, to restore us. And some of that means taking off broken pieces. If you think about that classic car again, he brings it in. Maybe some guy was trying to fix it, but put the wrong part on. Maybe, maybe in the garage is sitting rusted pieces that were broken or messed up, right? And then the car, it probably hurts. Sometimes I've seen hurt mechanics when they have to go in there with their wrenches and it's Bolted and it's stuck because it's been you know messed up and it's corroded. Sometimes they have to rip pieces out and it takes a lot of work to do that. That's the process of discipleship. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that he doesn't that he doesn't uh, doesn't value you. What he's doing is just looking at something that's deeply rooted in your life that might be unhealthy that could be corroded from your life. Bad habits, thought processes that over time have shaped you in unhealthy ways and God has to remove that at the root and sometimes it's so corroded or so rusted in that he has to remove entire pieces or sections out before he can replace it. That's the process of discipleship. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you and just because it hurts doesn't mean that it isn't right or isn't healthy. It means that the master craftsman is the one who sees what has to happen to bring the masterpiece out. That's the concept of discipleship is trusting that God is the master mechanic who is fixing us and restoring us. The invitation of discipleship is to become a masterpiece in God's hands. Would you stand with me and close your eyes as we close out this message? Jesus, thank you for the invitation to find rest and peace in you. That's the beginning of a relationship with you. I thank you that we are that we are forgiven. I thank you that you have bought. Each one of us, you've paid for our sin on the cross and you bought each of us and brought us back out of the horrible ownership of the owner of this world who abuses us and abuses the rest of this world, subjects us to environments that are corrosive to our hearts and to our souls. I thank you that you have purchased us and you've given us new life. God, would you begin the process now of restoring us, each one of us? And each one of us in the room this morning, if this is your desire to give God permission to restore you, even when it hurts, then just tell him that, God, restore me, work on me, every day change me, make me like you. God, I, wanna, I want to, to live a discipleship of up and down. I want to talk to you. And that just takes time every day, just saying, talking to him, telling him, but then stopping and listening. God, would you speak to my heart? Help me to, to look at my life, the things that I do every day, the lifestyle, the things that I watch, the things that I listen to, the people that I hang out with, the, the way I spend my money. Would you, you know, speak into those spaces and help us to know if they're healthy, if they're, if they're good, if they're right, or if they're wrong? God, would you, would you open our, our hearts and our, our ears to, to hear, to sense you speaking to us, guiding us, directing us, and particularly in the challenging places? The areas of our life that maybe we're blind to, would you shine a light in them? We give you permission today to shine the, the spotlight into our hearts, into the areas that maybe we are blind to that has unhealthy spaces, God. And when we do, may we be pulled to repentance, God. Let our hearts say, I'm sorry. I don't know what to do about it. And sometimes it just takes being honest. God, I don't want that for my life anymore, but I don't know what else to do. I promise you, he will speak into it. Even this morning, maybe he's challenging you to some specific thing or specific area of your life that is, that is unhealthy. Maybe he's challenging you. That's the very fact that you feel that way is God speaking to you, challenging you and saying, I want to address that area. Right now, it might just be pointing attention to it. And in the coming days and weeks, he'll be telling you what you can do. But God, we also want to engage in relationships with the people, people outside of us, people who maybe who can teach us things. God, would you bring us mentors into our lives? Would you bring us friends into our lives, not just people who will say what we want to hear, but people who will challenge us, who will say the things that we need to hear even when it hurts. In love, God, we need people who will speak truth in love, who will give us grace and mercy, but nonetheless, they will speak truth into our lives. God, maybe we be sensitive to it, that maybe, just maybe, the friend who's telling us something hard was sent by you. Help us to grow. Every day, God, to take steps closer to you, intentional steps to be like Jesus. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Pull us into your Word so that we can read it and it challenges us. Let us eat it like it's it's a a meal, you know, to digest and to think about and to give us nourishment and nutrients. God, we want to live for you. Thank you that you've made us new. Now, every day, help us to become more like you every day. In Jesus' name, amen.